first、mm. of all, this war gave the new People's Republic absolute confidence in its own ability to protect its own sovereignty and also to defend against any imperial power. Secondly, after this war, China has been able to maintain pretty much peaceful environment. I mean, no major wars broke out、mm. uh, for uh, almost five decades. So that gives China's domestic economic development a very good environment. The Chinese success of the, in the Korean War opens a new possibility for Chinese foreign diplomacy,、mm. particularly towards the global south.、Um, the global south country, for the first time, they have witnessed the possibility of a small and weak nation, so newly independent weak nations, with very low level of industrialization, would be able to、uh, deter the aggression from a very powerful nation. You, you look at the history since World War II. The U.S. has been involved in over 70 regime change operations. I agree, there has to be a, a stop to this idea that you can use other countries as proxies、mm. uh, in your ideological struggles or economic struggles. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun. July 27th marked the 70th anniversary of the Armistice Agreement that ended the 1950 to 1953 Korean War. At the time, a few months after the war broke out, and responding to the Democratic People's Republic of Korea's request for assistance, the Chinese People's Volunteers Army crossed the Yalu River to aid the DPRK's fight. How should we remember the Korean War today? What's the lesson in it for today's peace in Asia? For these questions and more, I'm joined by Dr. Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies at the National Institute for Global Strategy, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Ina Tangen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute and founder of Asia Narratives. Also, we have Yin Zhiguang, professor of international studies, School of International Relations and Public Affairs at Fudan University. Thank you, and a big welcome to all of you for joining me for this edition of the Chat Lunch. Now let's、uh, get right into it. Well, the Korean War broke out on June the twenty fifth, nineteen fifty, and ended with an armistice on July twenty seventh, nineteen fifty three. I want a brief answer from all three of you. How would you characterize the main reasons leading to it? Is it more about the Cold War? Issues between North and South Korea, or other things, and maybe let me start with Ina, please. Well, this is、uh, an issue that's very dear to me because I'm half Korean, and、uh, our、oh. family was actually in、mm. North Korea、mm-hmm. uh, when the uh, when this uh, was happening, and they had to flee south. So、uh, I, I know something from my family, but、um, obviously the history books speak to different things. In terms of、um, what happened, it was a mixture of ideology, misunderstanding. Um, so many geopolitical forces that had been started way before this war,、uh, starting with the、uh, the Japanese invasion and then occupation of、uh, Korea,、um, and then of course、uh, the wars、uh, that happened, World War II,、uh, and the War of Liberation in China itself. Mm. Mm.、Uh, what about Professor Yin? 
Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, and probably just add to it a bit more of international context. Mm. Um, the, uh, the outbreak of the Korean War is the, uh, it, it should be considered in the larger context of global decolonization and anti-imperialist war uh, during the, 19, uh, the mid 20th century. And also um, we witnessed the transformation of the American foreign policy exactly during that period specifically annotated by uh, the famous NSC 68. Uh, the containment policy starts to uh, become a um, sort of a doctrine for the American foreign policy since then, and arguably has a very strong impact on uh, today's politics as well. Mm. Well, indeed. What about Dr. Zhao Hai? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I agree with uh, Einer and also Professor Ian. Um, and this issue is very uh, close to me as well, academically and personally, mm. uh, because my uh, academic advisor at the University of Chicago, Bruce Cummings, is a very authoritative uh, professor on this issue. Mm. And other than the, uh, uh, the very dominant argument that the Korean War broke out because of this uh, international uh, Cold War that's broken out because of the external forces that are bringing uh, this conflict uh, my professor basically argued that this is a civil war and this is a revolutionary war. So that means there's a very much a domestic dimension to this overall conflict. And fundamentally, the reason lies with the uh, Korean peninsula and Korean history itself. So I think today we will talk about this and uh, we have to remind ourselves that uh, this war broke out on the Korean peninsula. It's uh, a matter of, of the Korean people and that matters very much to not only uh, the history of the Korean War, but also overall consideration of East Asia and other problems in today's world. Mm. Well, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, well, while some argue that at the time when the Korean War broke uh, broke out, main battlefield between U.S. and the former Soviet Union should be in Europe. I mean, but how much really did the Korean Peninsula as a geopolitical region matter to both superpowers at the time? Aina, what's your view? Well, in, first off, yes, uh, you, you can say that it was about Europe. Um, it didn't really matter except to the extent that you had people like uh, General MacArthur, who was uh, not very quiet about his intentions of basically rolling through uh, South Korea, China on his way to Moscow. Mm. So from... Uh, you know, from a communist point of view, uh, ideologically, uh, the U.S. saw, as it does today, a threat in a competing um, ideology and was determined, or some of them were determined, to meet it with force, uh, literally to stamp it out. They would keep using this idea that, um, you know, communism was the same thing as fascism, that, that uh uh, you know, Stalin and Hitler were basically the same thing, although it was Stalin who was largely responsible mm. for pinning down and then defeating uh, Nazi troops. Um, there's just uh, this incredible hostility towards any kind of ideology that does not fit within it. But on the other hand, uh, you know, communism was resurgent at that time. I and mean, it was a situation where Russia's victory 
the victory of the you know Russian people was serving as a symbol, uh, especially in places like China and other places where people were seeking, as I, Professor In says, a uh, area where they could get away from the colonial policies. Mm. And post World War II, that was very much in the mind of people. What would the world be shaped and be like uh, under a new uh, kind of power, the United States, uh, who had a very, um, you know, sometimes uh, good, sometimes toxic belief in their own uh, self superiority? Mm. Uh, Dr. Zhao Hai, what do you think? How much did the Korean Peninsula matter to the U.S. and the former Soviet Union at the time? Well, um, first of all, I'm little disagree. I have little disagreements with Einar、uh, on this issue. That、mm. is,、uh, yes, after World War II, the majority of the world population、uh, really don't want to go back to war again. So there's a very strong peace movement、uh, to to maintain and improve peace globally. So nobody really don't want to go to war at that time. However, there are ambitious politicians, and particularly in those countries、uh, which are divided or bothered by. Uh, other uh, forces,、uh, for instance, back then in China,、uh, the Nationalist Party also wanted to use force to reunite、uh, the whole of China and stamp out communism.、Mm. Uh, same thing happened along the lines in、uh, Korea and also、uh, remember in、uh, Vietnam and in other parts of the former colonies of the Japanese occupation. So overall, I think there's a tendency before. Uh, they broke out of the Korean War, both in the north and in the south. They are training military uh, forces, uh, preparing for a military action if、uh, the negotiation failed. And as we know, the negotiation indeed failed in 1948. That's why the war broke out.、Mm. <clears throat> However, in terms of, of your question, whether or not that, that Korean peninsula is important for、yeah. overall U.S. global strategy, or for that matter, Soviet global strategy, the answer is of course no. Because back then,、mm-hmm. as we know, most of the advanced industrial powers are in Europe. So Europe is, of course, the number one top priority for both、uh, the United States and Soviet Union back then, starting the Cold War. And in Asia, most of the countries are backyard,、uh, backward countries, and their GDP is close to zero in、mm-hmm. terms of global share. And the U.S., of course, back then is the most powerful industrial、uh, country in the world. After World War II, there are many, many issues、uh, in this region.、Uh, after you know the Japanese are,、uh, empire fall apart, but、mm. those questions are very much、uh, indigenous and very much related to the individual history、uh, in the region. So、mm. it's、uh, not comparing to other issues. Korean Peninsula is not particularly important、uh, for the United States. However, once the war broke out, of course, when the two Uh, uh, superpowers started to confront each other. That's a different story. But back then, I think at the beginning of this、uh, this war, it is.、Uh, I mean, in the in the beginning, that whole region is not that important to the United States. The chat lounge. The chat lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Well, let's talk about you know the region at the time because the war broke out just、uh, quite shortly after the People's Republic of China was founded. That was、uh, October nineteen forty nine. So when the Korean War broke out, I mean, what were the main missions, both domestically and internationally, for the new China government, Professor Yin? What do you think? I think that the, this question could be、uh, slightly related to the previous questions that you asked.、Mm. Um, I think it is 
quite important to put the Korean War in the context of global decolonization and anti-imperialist movement. But bear in mind, the anti-imperialist uh, agenda does not only face the one old colon, uh, colonizers. There are multiple colonizers or imperialist powers uh, present in Asia, mm. uh, one of them being the old Japanese imperialist power. And at the same time, we have to consider uh, the European um, uh, uh, colonial power, the presence of European colonial power. And also, uh, interestingly, by the time of 1940s, particularly approaching to the late 1940s, uh, the American imperialism started to stroke a chord of, uh, of particularly the, communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party uh, with, their, uh, with the uh, American strong support of the Nationalist Party, with the strong intention of waging a war and fervently uh, uh, reluctant to uh, conduct a negotiation with the Communist Party, uh, all these are uh, uh, putting together, the imperialism itself uh, became a quite complicated issue. Mm. So in, in, in that sense, um, the, China, the Korean War itself is a part of a long-lasting anti-imperialist war and a decolonization movement in the whole Asia. And uh, from uh, from quite early on, Chinese uh, the Chinese People's Republic of China uh, recognized that there is no way that China would be able to maintain its integrity and in independence mm. without having a, uh, uh, a independent Asia. And mm. uh, the problem of uh, achieving the sort of uh, the sort of independent of Asia was. Um, um, was uh, sort of jeopardized by the American strategy in, in Asia at large, particularly with a focus of building Japan as the future uh, powerhouse for, mm. uh, for, for, for Asian trustee, as an Asian trusteeship. So the, the, old, the very old ideal of the imperial trusteeship was um, um, sort of revived during the 1940s and 50s. So in this sense, um, I would slightly disagree that uh, uh, with uh, with uh, Dr. Zhao Hai mm. that uh, America did not uh, was not interested in uh, in Asia. Um, I think um, there is uh, there was a quite strong in, uh, uh, tendency um, that uh, America, particularly uh, uh, with the uh, starting as as early as in the 1930s, building. Mm. Um, Asia with the support of a trusted, uh, trusted nation, mm. and uh, it grows much more clearer after the Second World War that Japan would be able to become that powerhouse, became the trustee uh, to transform Asia according to the American model. So therefore, it is vital to revive Japanese economy by connecting together uh, very much so the old Jap Japanese colonies mm. ranging from Korean Peninsula all the way to uh, um, um, uh, to, uh, to Taiwan and then uh, Japan itself, mm. and uh, reviving the Japanese co-prosperity uh, co uh, co circle uh, and transforming it in the post-war sort of American powerhouse in mm. Asia was crucial to the American global strategy at the time, uh, especially considering that they're also um, fighting sort of uh, in a way, in an intention with the old colonial power in Europe. Well, I appreciate that all three of you have presented uh, me and our listeners different views on, you know, whether uh, the how much the Korean Peninsula matter for U.S. and the former Soviet Union at the time. 
People's Republic of China was so new at the time. Still on that question, Dr. Zhao Hai, what do you think the main missions for the government at the time, both uh, in China well, and internationally? Yeah, well, I think there are actually, if you're looking back at the beginning of the People's Republic,、uh, in the early stage, there are actually、uh, two different thoughts about、uh, the early or the mission of the new republic.、Mm. Uh, there are, of course,、uh, Chairman Mao believed that China should、uh, lean to one side, which means. Uh, China should join the socialist uh, camp mm. Uh, and get closer to the Soviet Union,、uh, represented by this treaty that he negotiated、uh, during his stay in Moscow、uh, in the uh, uh, 19, late 1949 and early 1950.、Right. And that kind of consolidated China's relation、uh, with the Soviet Union and put China firmly in the socialist camp. And that means that actually China joined、uh, the Cold War as part of the Soviet-led、uh, overall group. Mm. And that means also because why China so eagerly to join、uh, with the Soviet Union and sever its relations with the, the, the so-called capitalist world? Because back then China needs two things. One is like、uh, Professor Im pointed out, we need、uh, you know to preserve our revolutionary foot, which means that to maintain integrity. Uh, of uh, China's territorial、uh, integrity and sovereignty,、mm. uh, which means that we need、uh, the Soviet Union to protect and to provide. Uh, that kind of support militarily and economically, and secondly, China back then was so、um, you know backward, economically so poor、mm. uh, that China really needs to start rebuilding its own country and develop its own economy. And who's going to invest in China's industrial industrialization? And the Soviet Union, of course, is the、uh, number one choice back、mm. then. So I think that's why you know Chairman Mao chose that path. And uh, uh, you know, maintain、uh, that that you know initial、uh, purpose of that. However, the other thing is that back then, also other than this revolutionary path, there are also people arguing that China, as a nation state, as a sovereign nation state, should maintain its course and sort of、uh, leaving,、uh, keeping its distance from this、uh, revolutionary and and previous past and building it more、uh, like a normal state among、mm. other states in the world. Uh, so that means to maintain relations with the Western world,、uh, and also starting trade, starting、uh, you know people to people relations with the outside world. So that's why in the beginning of the Korean War, it's so di- difficult to decide whether or not to send、right. our troops into、mm-hmm. North Korea because you know、uh, there are different people thinking about different. Uh, 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 path that、mm. China should choose for、mm. its at, at its early stage. Well, yes, on that,、um, so many、uh, documents and also so much、um, historical. Uh, videos as well as documentaries has been have been made. This I want、uh, answers from all three of you. Maybe let me start with Ina. What were the main considerations?、Uh, do you think the Chinese government leaders had at the time to make that decision? Because there were so many things to weigh about. Yeah, I, I,、um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna. What we have is three different views, and I, I think you know you have one where、uh, mm. the professor in has said, "Look, this is a you know a, a global struggle and ideological and things."、Um, I, I think Zhao Hai has presented that there are you know、um, forces within Korea. Uh, which were very、uh, important to this. I would say there was a mixture of things, and that you、mm. had a tremendous amount of outside influences. China being one of them.、Uh, remember, Seventh Fleet had sailed into the Taiwan Straits and、right. made it impossible for the Communist government to reunite、uh, China. 
And, you know, that problem continues today. So you have a situation where it's clear that the West is uh, not in favor of uh, the communist government. They made it very clear they were supplying tanks, guns, ammunition and money uh, to the nationalists uh, there. Um, they were protecting them when they should have been uh, you know, pushed out. Um, you know, China doesn't really have a, a, a choice. They have mm-hmm. to see uh, the U.S. Uh, involvement Uh, especially in Korea, as a possible bridgehead. Remember, this is how uh, Japan had started. Uh, They annexed it, and then they they had started moving uh, uh, troops and taking control of um, Manchuria, uh, basically trying to colonize uh, China in its entirety. So people are very, very cognizant of what's happening around them and what has just happened. And this is Mm. what I go back to my original statement, that there were so many fears, positions, um, you know, ideologies that were involved, so much uh, concern that the there was going to be some sort of preemptive uh, attack. Now, I don't believe that there was one position in China. I think um, Mao, uh, like today, was a strong leader, um, you know, but he also, you know, there were people uh, within mm. uh, the government who were concerned. They said, look, we don't want to get involved in another uh, issue. Uh, you know, war, we just won, we need to consolidate uh, in the U.S. as well. I mean, you had General MacArthur who represented the militaristic wings, you know, you know we're mm-hmm. going to kill everybody and take over the world. Uh, and then you had uh, more cautious voices from the civilian side saying, look, people are tired of war. What do you, you know, what, what on earth are you doing? But beyond this, there was, you know, all these ideological factors which were being hyped up at the time. And then you have Stalin. Stalin is probably the only one who's in complete control of everything, Mm. Uh, but he's playing a very Machiavellian game. Uh, His uh, desire is, Mm. uh, you know, as Russia is often wont to do, to establish buffer states around it so it cannot be attacked directly. There is always a concern in in, uh, Russia about security, and we see that playing out today with Ukraine. So he he is um, anxious uh, to keep the uh, U.S. at bay, he has exploded a nuclear bomb, but uh, they don't have a bunch of them, and they're not, and certainly not prepared to go to war with the United States, and they don't want to. So mm. he wants to, uh, you know, very happy to have uh, Chinese get involved. He wasn't always so good about following up unless there were signs of, of success in terms of actually providing munitions, air support, and all and artillery, tanks, all the things that were necessary mm. in order to mount um, you know, effective uh, ground responses. Mm. Now, Professor Yin, what's, what's your take on you know, the many things that Chinese leadership uh, had to consider to eventually make the decision? It seems to me that the decision-making process at the time is rather democratic because a different... Uh, thoughts and also different, um, you know, uh, viewpoints were considered, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, consider the fact that uh, the democratic leadership, uh, the Jiti Lingdao, the uh, leadership through a, a group, mm. is quite crucial. It's a is a characteristic of the earlier um, of the of, of the Communist Party of China. So. Um, the democratic decision within the leadership is definitely um, there, but uh, at the same time, uh, we have to also consider the fact that um, uh, the significance of the trip um, that uh, Mao Zedong took 
to uh, to the Soviet Union mm. after meeting with Stalin, getting some reassurance, and also of course there were some concerns with regarding how much of the Soviet Union would be able to uh, sincerely getting involved. <laughs> um, it is, uh, I think, it is quite clear to the then leadership that. Uh, the Soviet Union would not want to get uh, get involved directly, particularly with the risk of uh, having a third world war against the United States. So henceforth, uh, the status of the uh, of the Korean War being a proxy war is quite clear uh, since since its beginning. But and the only thing that I would uh, would probably add um, mm. is the fact uh, that the North Korean side. Uh, we we can't forget that the North Korean side has been fighting uh, uh, side by side with the Chinese Communist Party during the anti-Japanese war. Mm. So emotionally and personally, the connection with the North Korean side uh, in the support of their um, uh, 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 of, of of their reunification initiative was quite strong uh, within the communist leadership. Mm. CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. My name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please, come to join us. Welcome back. You're listening to Chat Lunch on CDTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Today we discuss the 70th anniversary of the Armistice Agreement that ended the Korean War. We have with us Dr. Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies at the National Institute for Global Strategy, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Ina Tangen, Senior Fellow with the Taihe Institute, and Yin Zhiguang, Professor of International Studies, School of International Relations and Public Affairs at Fudan University. Continue with our discussion. Dr. Zhao Hai, what do you think uh, overall, you know, the yeah. considerations as well as particularly, I want to get your opinion on how much the fo- former Soviet Union factor mattered for the Chinese leadership at the time, because as pointed out by uh, Professor Yin, 
So uh, Stalin wanted a buffer zone, but he didn't want a direct conflict. Uh, yes, indeed. I want to emphasize this, which is, you know, the uh, uh, back then the Soviet Union is a very strong factor. Of course, China wants the Soviet Union to support uh, China's troops in the North Korean uh, fight. However, this decision is made independently by the Chinese Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And the Communist Party of China has been independent uh, ever since the Zunyi uh, Huiyi, you know, the, the meeting in, in Zunyi. So after that, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a long uh, history about how uh, later on Chinese leadership can make independent decisions. And they had actually quarrels with uh, Stalin and uh, the Soviet Union about the direction of their policy. Right. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, DPRK uh, basically launching this attack toward the north on June 25th, uh, China did not know that beforehand. And uh, if China knew, China would, would say no to that kind of decision. Mm. And of course, we knew that uh, Soviet Union, and particularly Stalin himself, supported sending military advisors and military equipment to North Korea to support and beef up the uh, military capability of the North and supporting uh, Kim's uh, idea about unifying the Korean Peninsula by force. Uh, However, the timing is very important. Mm. When do you execute that? And how do you uh, have China and the Soviet Union both on its side? That's a big problem. And back then, as we noted, China's number one priority is to reconstruct after this war-torn country uh, that's been suffering for 50, almost half a century. Mm. And that's very important. And remember, at back then, China's industrial center is in Dongbei. It used to call Manchuria, and now we call northeast right. uh, of China. And that, that legacy must be protected. And later on, uh, when China agreed with the Soviet Union to uh, accept more uh, industrial uh, buildup in that region, it's also concentrated very much along uh, Manchuria. So if we, uh, for instance, back then, the Chinese uh, leaders refused to uh, intervene to to support North Korea, then the very much possible ending of the Korean War is that the United States will have a military presence along Chinese borders, uh, which I don't think Chinese leadership would accept back then. And I also agree with Professor Yin's uh, uh, point, which is very important, that North Korean leaders have a personal relationship with Chinese leadership back then. Mm-hmm. And if, if you look at the letter that, uh, you know, uh, DPRK's um, uh, Chairman King wrote Thank to Chairman Mao, mm-hmm. it's in Chinese. And, it, and there's no way long, he's going to say urgent. no to that. It mm-hmm. emphasized the mm-hmm. historical revolutionary friendship mm-hmm. and how North Korea actually helped China when China's executing its own uh, civil war, when the communists actually rolled over. Uh, uh, the nationalists and push them to Taiwan. So mm. that is very important historical uh, sort of uh, uh, um, mm. significance uh, that helped uh, Mao to make that decision. I think we all remember what happened in the Politburo meeting, right? Yes. All those generals are arguing with each other, and particularly right. uh, Marshal Lin Biao said, you know, it's important, it, it's almost impossible to confront the United States back then because we all know. Uh, back then, the United States produced the world 47% of steel. And during World War II, the United States produced, yes. what, a hundred, almost a quarter of a million uh, artillery and uh, airplanes. It is overwhelming military power. Mm-hmm. So I think the decision is very hard. However, it's also, from today's perspective, justified. Mm. As all of you have mentioned, the new China at the time f- was facing daunting tasks. 
domestically because the country just went through a civil war. The economy, the Chinese people, and the Chinese economy were so poor. The Chinese army didn't even have an air force at the time. Despite all the challenges, Chairman Mao and his generals、um, made the decision to go in. What do you think their preparations were? If the North side was completely defeated and the war, or the war ended up、um, lasting years, Professor Yin, what do you think the final cards or card the Chinese leadership were hiding in their sleeve at the time, going into the war?、Uh, well, I mean, I I I I I really couldn't speculate on that point,、mm. uh, but. What I can、uh, say is to follow up on the Ines、uh, uh, point um, that um, um, China is certainly when when the Chinese leadership decided to go into Korea, the decision is very very sincere, and、uh, China is quite determined to、uh, to win this war.、Um, partly because if not, a、uh, situation will、uh, will probably get much worse, particularly、uh, alongside the uh, the Taiwan uh, uh, the,、mm. the, the Taiwan trade.、Um, the so、uh, the Jap、uh, the 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 American support of the South side were basically relying on the old colonial officers that were serving under Japanese occupation.、Um, so to the,、uh, to the、um, And to the Chinese side, this has already lost its、uh, legitimacy of as a, as a fully、uh, post-colonial, fully independent government. So, henceforth,、uh, both from an ideological side and from a strategic side, China would have to、um, um, get fully be have to be fully on board with this war.、Mm-hmm. And as a result, we can see that、uh, China did、um, gain quite a significantly,、uh, particularly its confidence. Uh, and uh, uh, the the morale boost after the after the Korean War,、uh, which later on feed into、uh, not only the consolidation of the whole nation, but also feeds into the、uh, nation building um, um, socialist construction movement、mm-hmm. um, 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 afterwards. Um, Dr. Zhao Hai, I、well, want to ask more questions in limited time. So,、uh, can we answer your last question? Yes, yes, please. Yeah, I, I think、uh, back then the、uh, Chinese leadership knew that we have actually three cars、uh, that、mm-hmm. on our side、uh, that can support China's argument that we can go into this war, even though the United States is a very,、uh, very strong opponent. Number one is that、uh, back then、um, the Communist Party. Has、uh, I think over three million soldiers, battle-hardened troops、uh, mm-hmm. that are ready to fight. And we know that after Chinese Civil War,、um, many of the people have been fighting for many many years.、Mm-hmm. After, as you mentioned, you know the、uh, anti-Japanese war and then the Civil War. So they have a lot of battle experience. It's、mm-hmm. not like、uh, they have never fought before. So、mm-hmm. that is a very good asset. And number two, if you look at the map. The Korean Peninsula is on the north side; is very much mountainous,、uh, and Chinese troops are very good at fighting battles in the mountainous area. <laughs> they are very experienced fighting、right. the Japanese in the mountainous areas, utilizing their、uh, battle skills and utilizing small groups uh, uh, defending strategic positions. So、mm-hmm. throughout the war, you can see that's been proven because Chinese troops are very good at. Uh, 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 you know, hiding themselves and then launching sudden attack,、mm. uh, encircling the enemy and fight to win. And the third is that,、uh, as we mentioned,、uh, the United States and Soviet Union has already entered into a global Cold War. Therefore, the U.S. has to maintain a large part of its strategic asset 
in Europe, and mm-hmm. therefore the uh, you know the, the the military and the resources that they can pull out to support the war in Korean Peninsula is very much limited. They cannot put every cars all in because they they have to deal with the Soviets mm-hmm. uh, elsewhere. So if you combine these factors all together. I think from the very beginning, uh, the uh, leadership in China knew that this is going to be a limited war and China has a uh, some kind of advantage in playing if they play the cards right. I absolutely agree with your position that uh, China had uh, the, the better morale, it had the, the battle-hardened troops, but it did not have the munitions, tanks, etc., uh, to really go toe-to-toe with the U.S. And, and that was exemplified in the war. I mean, uh, there are many dispatches going back uh, to Beijing saying, where's the ammunition, where, you know, where are clothes, where's food, right? So you can't translate it that China was ready to fight a war. Mm. So there were enormous um, uncertainties and risks going into the war for the Chinese. Um, But um, I think Dr. Yin, Professor Yin mentioned something that China gained during the war, which is confidence. So let's let's talk about, you know, what China gained after this hard fought war. Dr. Zhao, what's your take? What, well, what does I, think, uh, I mean, overall, what do you think the war, the Korean War mean for the new China? Well, there are a couple of things. First mm-hmm. of all, uh, this war gave uh, the new People's Republic absolute confidence in its own ability to protect its own sovereignty and also to defend against any imperial power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, uh, you know, I think it's uh, Marshal Chen Yi said, you know, the, the, uh, or Marshal Pondokhoi said the, the era uh, that you know, foreigners just have several gumbos and several guns pointing at us, and then it's, it could conquer the whole country. It's over. Mm. Uh, I think that's a very significant point where the world realized that the former colonizers, even the most powerful country like the United States, can no longer dictate and uh, you know uh, just defeat uh, the most the weakest or the considered the mm, former military that cannot fight and win wars against any colonizers. Uh, I think that era, that era is over by the uh, uh, victory of China in the Korean War. And also, secondly, after this war, China has been able to maintain a pretty much peaceful environment. I mean, no major wars broke out mm. uh, for uh, almost five decades. So that gives China's domestic reconstruction and, mili- uh, and uh, economic development a very good environment. Uh, so I think that's uh, very important, too. And thirdly, that actually consolidated China's uh, alliance with the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. because previously Stalin has a lot of uh, doubts and suspicions mm-hmm. about Mao and Chinese leadership uh, and think that they're not real communists, they're just uh, nationalists. So that is a consolidation of the alliance between the two. And finally, I think it's important that later on, uh, in other regional conflicts, the United States can no longer risk uh, to have a direct face-to-face conflict with China, like what happened uh, in the Vietnam War. And mm. that actually supported Vietnam to ultimately achieve its national unity. unity. Mm. Well, you gave me a lot to think about. But uh, uh, Professor Yin, do you have more to add? And do you agree with uh, Dr. Zhao? Um, yeah, I completely agree. Uh, just one more thing uh, mm. I could potentially add. Um, is the point that I argued in my book actually um, that the success of uh, the the Chinese success of the, in the Korean War opens a new possibility for Chinese foreign diplomacy, mm. particularly towards the global south. 
Um, the Global South country, for the first time, they have witnessed the possibility of a small and weak nations, newly independent weak nations, with very low level of industrialization, would be able to uh, deter uh, uh, the, um, the, uh, the aggression from a very powerful nation. Mm. And this gives a morale boost not only to the Chinese people, but to the general Global South. Uh, and later on, quickly after that, after the amnesty of the uh, uh, of the Korean War, uh, quickly after that, China uh, was able to break uh, to uh, to break a peace uh, uh, on Geneva Conference. And uh, one year after that, China were, uh, uh, was able to um, uh, establish its foreign uh, relations with many of the newly independent Afro-Asian countries on mm-hmm. Bandung Conference. Right. And these are all uh, crucial to the um, to the de- to the development in sh- uh, of the uh, of the People's Republic of China and arguably shaping the uh, Republic of uh, People's Republic of China's foreign policy and uh, until today. So that's one extra point I would mm. uh, I would emphasize on. Well, that's important. But Aina, what do you think China the things or you know you know the significance that China has gained? Well, I, I think there's a, a racial component to this. Um, mm. You know, prior, in America, they used to have this saying Chinese fire drill, which means that you're just running in circles. Mm. Uh, also, um, the, uh, the Japanese conquest of large parts of China had put into doubt that the Chinese were capable of governing themselves, something that uh, the Japanese were always uh, spreading around that they were actually protecting China etc. So, you know, at this juncture, and I've, I've talked to Korean War veterans, and they'll tell you that their respect for the Chinese soldier was mm. immeasurable, because they did not have the kind of weapons, food, clothing, support, artillery, tanks, air cover, that the Americans and the uh, South Koreans had, yet they resisted. Uh, the many, many died, many more died on the Chinese side than the uh, US side. But, you know, when they they saw that there was you know, this desire to continue, that they would fight to the last man, all of a sudden people realized that, you know, as Zhao Hai said, that China was not some place where you just could walk in with a gunboat and, you know, take over the summer palace. Mm. Um, this, this, this was now, you know, China was considered a very serious nation, one that was capable of defending its borders. And uh, it changed people's idea about China. Um, you know, the stereotypes would persist. persist but um, mm. the reality on the ground when you t- talk to people, uh, their their minds had changed. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Professor Yin, how did um how did the war, the Korean War, change geopolitical dynamics between major countries of the world at the time? If if uh, it if it did. Well, I mean, Korean War, in terms of geopolitical uh, situation, I think it, it functions. Uh, it functions as a deterrence uh, for the Americans to sort of fully formed its uh, its uh, sphere of influence uh, with Japan as its center and connecting all the Jap- the Japanese old colonies. It planted the seeds of uh, decolonization and national independence movement 
it helped to withheld a um, an area where um, independence development under the um, under the support or mutual support of uh, socialist countries were became possible, and that uh, that pot of countries also mm. later on extended its influence into um, the broader um, global south. Um, the global south start to understand or start to um, to uh, to witness that there are two possibilities for uh, national development and transformation. Mm. One comes from the American side, and um, uh, which is strongly uh, closely associated with the old colonial power. The other comes from the um, um, from the uh, the Soviet side, but at the same time. Um, China being a member um, of of the so-called the third world countries um, also provides a, um, a a hopeful glimpse for the possible futures. And uh, mm-hmm. um, indeed, in the 1960s and afterwards, China did become a viable alternative for countries which are not uh, which were not interested in uh, being subjected to uh, either uh, imperial uh, imperial forces, and many mm. of them turned to China for uh, uh, international supports. Let, let's see how the the Americans remember the Korean War, uh, because uh, as widely known, the Korean War is known as a forgotten war in the U.S. Some historians have pointed out that the 1.8 million Americans who fought in Korea rotated in and out of the war zone without attracting much attention. Um, there's not enough debate or reflection on what the U.S. did. I know. Tell us why is that, and how does it influence America's foreign policy these days? Well, quite frankly, after coming uh, for you know winning World War II uh, mm. along with uh, allies, China, uh, Russia, etc., uh, the world is dividing up uh, ideologically. Uh, the U.S. now is experiencing its first real defeat. Um, and it uh, does two things. One, it sets in motion this idea that the Cold War is real, uh, that there's going to be a some sort of titanic struggle between uh, these two sides, these two ideologies. Uh, in terms of you know, the American view of it, I mean, I, the, the best thing I can say is my father was uh, in uh, Korea during that time. He mm. arrived after the war, after the armistice was signed, so he was not involved in any combat. Um, but he felt it was very strongly that he was a child of privilege and that he thought it was unconscionable that um, people, the people who were sent to fight this war uh, were the, you know, basically uh, people who were too poor not to, uh, mm. uh, to go. And he thought this was uh, outrageous. You, you have a situation where you have a lot of soldiers who don't represent, you know, they're, they're not a powerful group. You don't have the same kind of veterans associations representing them. Mm. And when they come back defeated, uh, people are ashamed. Other people said, you know, World War II, we went and fought the Nazis. We fought the Japanese. You know, you guys, you know, you, you, you mm. kind of failed us. So there is a shame involved. And this, this, this becomes the absurdity of war. Um, it, in terms Indeed. of today, I don't think we've learned anything from it. Uh, you know, the U.S. is involved in Ukraine uh, obliquely. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, it just seems like the, many of the mistakes of history continue. This is very heavy. Uh, but uh, Dr. Zhang Hai, what do you think about this issue? Why is the Korean I, War the forgotten war? Yeah. Well, put it simply, uh, the U.S., uh, the Americans don't want to lose. So if they're losing anything, they don't want to mention it anymore. Uh, and in this war, it's particularly uh, shameful and unnecessary. So I think this is uh, very much why the uh, U.S., for a very long period of time, don't have any drama, movie, or any 
special programs devoted to this. However, as you know, noticed recently, there's a new movie coming out about uh, the Korean War. However, this interesting thing is that uh, uh, the main uh, protagonist is, uh, is a black aviator uh, mm. pilot. <laughs> Uh, so mm. I think this is very ironic. Mm. And the other thing is that I, I think there's one piece of this information is missing from our discussion, which mm. is the Korean War is very much about Japan. Uh, we mentioned about mm. you know the the uh, collapse of the Japanese Empire. However, after the war, particularly the beginning of the Cold War, the U.S. really wanted to revive Japan as an industrial nation, as an ally against the Soviet Union. So part of the decision to enter into the Korean War, defend and fight back and push back North Koreans is also to maintain a buffer zone for Japan because South Korea is like a buffer zone for Japan. Mm. And also after the, uh, the big breakout of the uh, uh, Korean War, what's important is that in 1951, mm. you have a new system created called the San Francisco system, yes. where you have dozens and dozens of countries sign a peace treaty with Japan. However, Soviet Union and China is not part of that. And Japan is formally, uh, firmly mm. uh, stayed in the U.S. camp as a, 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 a very strong uh, U.S. ally until today. And in return, the U.S. stopped persecuting the former, uh, you know, Zaibatsu, those uh, financial conglomerates that right. supported U.S. Uh, the Japanese war machine. And uh, the, until today, the, uh, the Japanese militarism has not been properly. Uh, uh, sort of educated and mm. uh, and changed, so that remain a very much a problem between China and Japan um, until today. Mm. Uh, so I think that's very much uh, that, that's one of the biggest geopolitical change uh, or the consequence for the Korean War during that time. Well. Thank you for making that point, uh, because it is, as, as you mentioned, we, we missed that point during the discussion. Well, we have limited time, so I have one more question for all three of you. Um, the Korean War, as already mentioned by uh, Professor Yin Zhiguang, too, is a proxy war for the Cold War. If we are determined not to go down the same path again, uh, what should national governments do? Uh, and let me start with uh, Professor Yin. Uh, I think uh, the uh, the non-interference policy must be uh, strongly maintained and uh, should be proposed as part of the uh, the international norm. Um, mm. And we should also um, strongly criticize the interventionism, particularly in our days, manifested in many of this. Um, and many, uh, in many of the uh, um, um, Anglo-American um, countries, um, they uh, with a with a title of liberal imperialism or liberal interventionism, as if uh, through military intervention, liber liberty could be ex uh, could be spread to all across the world. And but on the contrary, this is exactly a dilemma. This is a oh, no, sorry, this is exactly a dichotomy. Um, there is no way we could achieve uh, global peace and liberty through war. Well, Ina, what's your take? Well, I, I, I like uh, what China has proposed, which is in essence a Westphalian peace uh, that says mm -hmm. basically that uh, within your country, you do as you uh, feel right based on you know your governance and your people. Um, and I think that's the only way to go forward. I mean, you, you look at the history since World War II, the U.S. has been involved in over 70 regime change operations, mm -hmm. six of which have been uh, overt, the rest have been covert. Uh, 
Uh, right now, uh, the group that is responsible for this kind of trying to create liberal change is called the National Endowment for Democracy. It has a $330 million budget this year. It's, uh, it's overseen by Congress directly. It's mm -hmm. president in 90 countries around the world, and its mission is to change those governments in favor of uh, whatever model they think uh, the U.S. wants. But interestingly, in many countries that they have been, they have not been active in changing the regimes of countries that have regimes that are antithetical to U.S. values. Instead, they support them. Um, mm. So it, it has really become a very cynical, real politic uh, situation. I agree there has to be a, a, a stop to this idea that you can use other countries as proxies mm. uh, in your ideological struggles or economic struggles, which is the case with the United States. Mm. The U.S. fears China because of its success. Over the last 45 years, China has uh, taken its people from the bottom uh, to the middle, whereas the U.S. has, uh, in essence, went from 62% of a middle class mm. 45 years ago to now 50%. So you see nations going in opposite directions. Uh, the danger is that um, you know the U.S. failing economically and politically will turn to its military card, which seems to be uh, the issue, and that's the greatest danger that we uh, we face. Mm. Well. Dr. Zhang Hai, what's your idea? I think today the fundamental problem is still um, the problem of the legacy of the Cold War. And until mm. we eradicate the very idea of the Cold War, uh, the world cannot have peace. And uh, thinking about this two legs of the previous Cold War, one mm. is NATO or any other collective security uh, alliances. Mm. And that's the problem of today. When you maintain that kind of collective security, uh, you probably elevated your own security, but then you decreased or uh, violated other countries' security. So that's mm -hmm. why, precisely why China has proposed global security initiative, advocating for a common indivisible security instead of, you mm -hmm. know, countries uh, coming together and form their own alliances and protecting their own security. Mm -hmm. And the other idea is that the world cannot uh, be divided uh, according to their ideological um, or, you know, this arbitrary uh, uh, naming of the other countries, like mm. democracy versus autocracy. This kind of division is uh, very dangerous and could lead to, uh, again, collective security, you know, a military confrontation, economic decoupling, and all kinds of the problems. And as we know today, with more technology, with climate change, with all kinds of global challenges, we should unite and work together instead mm. of being divided by this the idea, the different forms of government uh, and even different uh, alliances of militaries. Uh, so I think until we reach the other point, uh, mm. uh, until we reach uh, you know agreement or consensus on that, we will continue to have uh, Ukraine war or other wars in other parts of the world because of these kind of legacies. Thank you all for a very informative educational discussion on the 70th anniversary of the armistice agreement that ended the Korean War. We've been talking to Dr. Zhao Hai, Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, Aina Tangan, Senior Fellow with the Taihe Institute, also in Zhiguang Fudan University. You've been listening to Chat Long on CGTN Radio. Thank you for staying with us. Until next time, I'm Liu Kun in Beijing.
As one of CGTN Radio's most popular programs, World Today provides listeners with a strong mix of international news and business. It delivers in-depth analysis of current affairs and one-on-one interviews, bringing you the stories behind the news, not just what's happening, but why. Chief Economist of Hang Seng Bank, China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. 